This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Keith? Yeah. We're live, man. We're on. That was our intro, the end of our intro. We're, I, I, I put it on a little bit early, uh, earlier than the, the site says, but uh, hopefully people will tune in. Here in about two minutes. I didn't realize I had to log that it would log me right in, but it's because we're running late. That's awkward. Where's uh, where's our usual host? He's uh, he's stuck at work this evening, so it's uh, it's you and me, and Chris will be here in a moment, and uh, it'll be the three of us. So you can go ahead and take over, man. Uh, what? what you... <laughs> I didn't sign up for any of this. I don't know. Neither did I. Oh man, I just I feel like I just stepped into a landmine. Well, I thought Chris would be here, so that's fine. Sorry. Oh boy. So how'd you get stuck with this? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I got a text that uh, he was running late, and I was running late, and which is why this is as quick as I could get it up and running. And hey, there's Chris. Hello. <laughs> are Are you crying like a baby tonight, Chris? Uh no, that is a actual baby. Oh, that's awesome. Well, welcome to the show, man. Hold on. Thank you. Okay, there you go. There's your trumpet. The grand name. Yeah. So, uh, so it's uh, you and you and you and Keith tonight. We have no Kevin until he shows up, or if he shows up. So. Uh, what do you guys got? Uh, well, first of all, I was trying to put up a uh, live thread. I wasn't sure if there was one going to be up or not. Yeah, there. Yeah, you can throw, you can throw one up. That'd be great. Every time I hear that, I think that's like some kind of sound effect. What the baby? Yeah, I was like, why that's would you have a baby? Down that's an actual. Here? That's an actual baby, as as we've been notified. You know, uh, Chris and I actually talked last night uh, via Facebook and had a pretty interesting conversation about just how things are going with this team and whatnot. And um, it, it's funny because I, I wouldn't say we agreed on all things, but his general consensus is we like. Where where things are going right now, where as I feel like at this time of year, uh, in the past, I mean, we would just have this uh, bewildered look on uh, on most of our faces, thinking, you know, what you know, what are we going to do now? So I mean, 
Uh, I'm not wild about the fact that we were, we were able to lose three games. Um, I was especially horrified by the way we were just absolutely destroyed by the Titans. But I mean, as a whole, um, I like the way this team is coached. I like a lot of uh, a lot of the talent on defense, except for the secondary, which we'll get to a mo- get to in a moment. But uh, I, I can't say I'm, I'm overly um, I, I like I'm I'm not really disappointed. I'm certainly not disappointed in Tannehill. I'm not disappointed in Joe Philbin. Uh, I think those guys are, have all been like incredible additions to this team. And I'm to the point now where I don't expect us to make the playoffs. I think we really uh, hurt ourselves with that three-game losing streak. But I'm at the point now where I'm really just looking to to make strides. I mean, like, like the Seattle game with Tannehill leading that that game-winning drive, stuff like that. That's what I mean. I don't want to lose games. But I, I'm more I'm more into seeing our our quarterback pull off that kind of stuff and uh, seeing Sylvan uh, coach these close games and hopefully pull out these victories. That's what I'm most concerned about. I love to make the playoffs. I think the AFC is terrible, and I don't think we're by any means out of it. I I agree. Duke, you still with us? Yes, uh, I was going to say, I put the live thread up. You may want to do the editing to put in the uh, the actual podcast part. All righty. I can do that for you, I think. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I agree with Keith. We we did discuss this last night, and uh, I, I do like the direction things going. I think we are building towards something. I think the playoffs right now are a, are a nice little bonus. I don't think that was the goal coming into the season per se. I think the goal was to uh, build around Tannehill, watch him develop, and, you know, as we move forward into the off season, into the draft, get pieces to uh, become more of a playoff threat next year. Um, I will say that if we do make the playoffs, we will definitely have earned it, having to play the Patriots and the 49ers. And uh, in order to make the playoffs, we will more than likely have to beat Win at least two of those, if not all three. So uh, that'll be that'll be a challenge, but uh, something interesting to watch. Yeah, it's it's rough sledding from this point on. I mean, I, I, the upsetting thing is we weren't able to maintain uh, a better record through the easy part of our schedule because you look at what we're about to go through, and I mean, it just it, it gets really nasty from here. Like you said. Just the sheer fact that we have three games combined with the the uh, the Patriots and the 49ers is a bad thing, especially when you're seeing what the 49ers are doing as of late. I mean, that team just gets to the quarterback at will. I mean, not that I think New Orleans is nearly as good this year as they have been in, in uh, previous years, but they just they just pounded on those guys. So it's yeah, I agree. We will we will have earned it, but I mean, it, I like it. I like the fact that you, you read all this this press right now about Tannehill and it's all positive because I feel like um, leading up to this season, all, the only thing you heard was, when is this guy going to start? Is this guy a huge reach? Did the Dolphins really blow it with this one? And all these, all of these uh, really negative uh, slanted topics, and now you see it and everyone's like, well, I mean, this guy was clearly the right pick, especially when you think about what we have um to look at for quarterbacks this year in the draft. That's another thing Chris and I talked about last night. And it's, uh, I mean, Heisman is always twenty twenty, 
But all these people who said that the, the Dolphins were stupid for making the move on Tannehill are, uh, they have to. I, I don't see how you can you can stand by what uh, by that sentiment now. So, I mean, you look at the guys coming out, and I mean, they're. I mean, these guys could be good quarterbacks, but I mean, it's just it's. Uh, I don't want to call it uh, lackluster, but it, this class coming out is just not very impressive, and I don't know if if any class could really uh, match what came out last year. Um, over the next few years, but uh, we made the right move for sure. Yeah, and I think part of that, to to the credit of the people saying that, was that we had Matt Moore come on strong at the end of last year and play well. And so, and at the time, you know, right around the draft, everyone was saying, "Well, Tannehill's not ready," and it was kind of kind of an understated thing that we were going to have to. If we draft him, he'll be the, our first-round pick, and he's going to sit a year. So we're basically just wasting a year of a first-round pick when he gets somebody that's having an impact now. Um, you know, once he started, that kind of took that part away. But, yeah, I think that the draft class this year in terms of quarterbacks, just, you know, it just seems like they've dropped off. Uh, you know, everybody's expecting Barkley to be great, and his play's dropped off. You had, um, you know, uh, Tyler Wilson – you know, Geno Smith came on strong at the beginning of the year, but he's kind of dropped off lately. And you have guys like that. But in terms of, you know, this class and next year's class, you know, and I've, I've never been a big fan of it. Well, wait until next year. Because, and the reason I don't like that is you can always talk yourself out of it. Because even, let's say this draft class is going to be good, but let's say we finished with a decent, a decent record and we weren't going to be able to pick one of the top guys. Then, you're going to say, well, we can trade up or whatever, and it's going to cost a lot of draft picks. Well, we can wait until next year, and let's get this piece and this piece. And it's kind of this philosophy of let's not – let's wait on a quarterback and build the team around everything else. And in my opinion, you should get your quarterback and build around him. And I think that's what we're doing with Tannehill. And I think that's the positive way because now we can go into this draft, the upcoming off season, and we can start building pieces. That's one – we finally got the key piece taken care of. We don't have to deal with – quarterback now. We can go out and find that pass rusher. We can find a couple of receivers. We can find, uh, you know, some, some corners. Some other pieces that we need to augment the team, and we're not worried about the quarterback position. So. You mentioned uh, Tyler Wilson. I think Tyler Wilson will get into that mix, too. I actually think he's better than the other two. So, I mean, we'll see. Uh I, I got my first uh, mock draft of the year coming up in a couple of days, and I mentioned that I think uh, unless Kansas City really talks themselves, uh, is able to talk themselves into uh, this this issue of quarterback uh, like positional inflation that goes on in the draft now, which I mean everyone thought we were a part of last year with Tannehill, but unless Kansas City really buys into that. I think that they'll they'll eventually try to make a play later on for a guy like uh, a Tyler Wilson. Funny thing is that uh, they don't have a lot of holes. I mean, it, it's it's almost like uh, it's like a cruel sort of irony that they're a quarterback needy team, and they're I mean, but, but they they have everything else, and I mean they're they're losing all these games though, and now they're in a position where. You're supposed to be able to use that first round, that number one pick to get that quarterback, and there's not going to be 
that guy available, in my opinion. So I mean, it's yeah, like I mean, thing. imagine, imagine if they had had pulled that off last year with the players that they have, and now they'd be bringing Andrew Luck into that. Right. So I mean, and it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with that. You know, they have built a team, and now they're time to go out and get a quarterback. Except you're talking about a quarter, a, a, class, a draft class that looks kind of weak at quarterback. So. What do you do there? And, you know, it's kind of the reverse thinking. I think when you identify a guy like we did with Tannehill, you go after him. And, you know, and I think we made the right move there. So, yeah, Kansas City, I think, is in a, in a, in a tough spot there because they're going to have the first overall pick. And right now, I, I mean, one of those quarterbacks is probably going to work their way into the number one overall pick because that just happens. But they're not number one on everybody's draft board. I mean, if you look at guys right now, I think I read an article today by the ESPN draft guys, McShay and Kuyper. I believe they said their number one, their top five was like, I don't think they had a quarterback in their top five. It was all, you know, other positions. So, And you know, I feel bad for Kansas City fans because, I, you know, I can imagine what it would be like. I mean, we drafted Jake Long first overall. But here they are, they have this team. They know that's a big need, and I just can't imagine them picking, you know, some you know, another position, especially if Scott Pioli's still there, because they might actually, they might actually, you know, take off and tear down his office and, you know, take him out back and beat him or something. So, does the um now that now that we have Tannehill in Miami, does that atone for passing on Matt Ryan four years ago? I think he will as long as if he if he develops into a a franchise guy. And, and I was thinking about this the other day. Everybody's talking about you know elite quarterbacks and franchise guys and all that. And I've heard different people say that Tannehill is a franchise guy. But I mean, the question always is: Is this a guy that you can win a Super Bowl with? Is this a guy you can build a team around? And I think Tannehill is. And if that's the case, then you know, in a way, we feel. In a way, that that is some sort of vindication that you know, yeah, we missed on Matt Ryan, but we do have a guy now. And I mean, Matt Ryan's playing well now, but you know, you could argue that Tannehill's, you know, Tannehill's ceiling is much higher than that of Matt Ryan. So you could argue that. And oh, I not only could you argue that, you'd be absolutely right. Uh, we've had this discussion before. Uh, with with quarterbacks and ceilings, like Barkley is already at his ceiling, in my opinion. I, I don't think. I mean, that guy. I mean, he's fairly polished uh, in terms of in terms of working in a system. But it's not like he's going to come in and he's going to do all these things that are, that are going to surprise you. I mean, that was. I think that was one of the biggest appeals about Tannehill. I mean, like you knew he was a a very smart, uh, strong arm, you know, big kid coming out of Texas A and M, but. You had no idea if he was really gonna be able to uh, sharpen his uh, his skills as a as a winner, uh, really polish up his uh, his ability to work within the pocket, working uh, outside of the pocket, and I mean we're really seeing him start to bring that along too. So I think it's I think, and it's not just Tannehill, of course. I mean the fact that he came into his the system he played in college is huge. I mean, that's like that's like giving someone the calculator for a test. But I mean, you still got to play the game. Not to sound ridiculous, but and that's where it, uh, 
it's really nice to have a guy like Joe Philbin in there, a guy who's who's watched the development of someone like Aaron Rodgers. I was reading that one uh, post I put up a couple of months ago talking about how Green Bay was thinking about just trading Aaron Rodgers at one point. I mean, to the point where they're like, this guy's just sunk caught. So the fact that we, we have someone like Joe Philbin who's, who's been involved in that kind of development and the success that came out of that development is huge for Tannehill. So we have a, a system he can feel comfortable in, uh, a framework in which he can he can learn, he can develop, he can play, and it's something where I mean he, he can just continue taking his game to the next level. So it's it's just a it's a great marriage right now. I mean it's perfect for him, it's perfect for us. All sides benefit here, and I mean we might have a monster on our hands, but it's a, in terms of having uh, more upside than Matt Ryan, absolutely. I don't think Matt Ryan had a ton of upside coming coming out of BC. I thought he was a very polished um, pocket quarterback. I mean, I know his arm looks stronger this year, but I mean, like he was he was a winner at BC. I mean, it's not like I mean that's why he was in discussion for the top ten. The, the thing that was keeping him down, and I think ultimately kept him out of that that number one pick with Miami, is he had a high interception total uh, his last year at BC when. Uh, Boston College is really coming along, and then he really just started turning the ball over uh, like crazy. So, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider Matt Ryan as having more. I think Ryan Tannehill has, uh, outside of maybe like a Robert Griffin, uh, probably the most upside you'd see out of a college quarterback. And I mean, a lot of that's due to uh, lack of game experience. I mean, the the, the fact that. Uh, I mean, kids barely had double-digit starts when you really get down to it compared to a lot of these kids who come out of college. So, I mean, you didn't know. I mean, you knew it was going to be – you hoped it was going to be good, uh, but you had a feeling that if it really worked out, it could be something great. And I, and I think that we're on that we're on that path now, and I feel very fortunate. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of Tannehill and development, uh, I think that – he took a giant leap forward uh, this past game against Seattle. And to, uh, <clears throat> to quote Randy Starks, um, they dropped today is what he said. And uh, for those listening, I'll let you figure that out. But um, he had the chance against Buffalo and couldn't do it. Had a chance against Colts, couldn't do it. That's fourth quarter drive. And then comes against Seattle, the number three defense in the league, you know, two of the best corners in the league, and he lights them up in the second half like it's his job. Now, granted, he had the, the, the bad pass across the middle. But, you know, I, at this point, I would consider Tannehill a gunslinger-type quarterback. That's the kind of guy he's going to be. And he's going he's gonna to do that. I think he'll learn from that. But I think he's going to try to attempt plays like that. But the passes he made, the the poise that he showed, the – you know, just everything associated with it. He got the ball to the right people at the right time, made the right plays, and I think everybody came away from that game. When the game was over, they were excited about the win. But I think they were more excited about the fact that, like, wow, Tannehill just led this team back in the fourth quarter twice, down twice, and then led them back to a, led them back, you know, game-winning drive and did so, you know, in the fashion he did. It was it was just it was incredible to watch. I mean, that pass that he threw to Beth on the final drive, 25 yards. 
He dropped it right in over the defender, right to best. Perfect pass. Beautiful franchise quarterback caliber stuff there. And I think that's what we've been waiting to see. Now, you know, I think there's still going to be some issues in terms of the personnel that we have that's going to limit this offense. But when we get when we get that stuff fixed, it's going to be fun to watch what he can do uh, because I honestly think that, you know, looking at the Jets situation, the Bills situation, you know, Tom Brady's he's not old, but he's, you know, getting toward the end of his career. I think we might be seeing, a, hopefully we're seeing a change in the guard at quarterback in the AFC East. And I think that final drive, that, that fourth quarter in Seattle is a, a sign of things to come. I hope so. And, I mean, I feel the same way you do, just watching them really good on the field. Now, I know this, the Seahawks aren't as good on the road as they're at home. I think they're what now, what, one and five? They have like yeah. some atrocious record on the road. But, I mean, granted, I mean, that's that's a, a big league defense out on the field. I mean, their corners are monstrous. I mean, they have uh, big-time playmakers at safety. Uh, them because they're, they're strong across the board. So yeah, I agree. That was that was a lot of fun to watch, and it, it's it's always interesting when you see a, a sort of maturation uh, pro, uh, process on the field like that. Hey fellows, yeah. Uh, hey fellows, um, I want to let you know we've got a guest on the line. Um, we've got uh, Ohio Griffin is on the line. Go Dolphins! <laughs> And as always, you can see he's very shy. He's very shy, and very right. reserved. Right. I don't know where you guys are at because my uh, my stupid sprint card keeps knocking me offline. But uh, did anybody else see Reggie Bush run over that linebacker? Absolutely. I've watched that about I, ten I, times now on replay. I'm like, oh my god! He, I mean, that guy looked to be about, uh, you know, three or four inches taller than him, and he just mowed him over. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, oh man, good things are coming. We're we're in good shape today. That was that was Leroy Hill. Yeah, that was Leroy and that, Hill. And uh, and uh, who else? Now let me ask this: Did anybody else jump out of their seat when Tannehill scrambled for what was it, about twenty-five, thirty yards? Yeah, because he looked bad. Well, this is not going to talk about. I mean. It seems like he's been escaping the pocket this season. He, I mean, it's a very pass-first type thing. You know, it kind of looks hesitant, kind of like he's just looking to pick up yards. But I mean, he was full steam ahead on that. He looked fast. Right, right. I mean, it, it was a, it was. I got to tell you, if you guys go check out my post that I put up here a little while ago, I mean, from a fan's perspective, at the game and in the deep end, we were just. I mean, it was it was just a it was just a great game to to attend, you know. And we haven't we haven't ha- had many uh, of those to say last few weeks. But I'm telling you, that game, you know, I, I was I was reserved in my optimism, which is rare. I'm always pretty optimistic, but I was reserved. Like, oh, Seattle's pretty tough, but uh, man, it seems like we just punched them in the mouth, you know. And I know it was a close game and all, but I, I really. I really never felt like the Dolphins were out of the game, you know, and, and, you know, they just, they really, I was just so happy to be a Dolphin fan that day. You know, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, for, for everyone else listening, um, the play that Griffin's talking about was the running play 
right before Tannehill threw the 29-yard pass to Clay for the touchdown. Uh, Reggie Bush ran left behind a good block by Long and Lane. He met Leroy Hill about three yards past past the line of scrimmage. There was this huge hit that you could hear the noise all over the place. And Reggie Bush pretty much just took his arm and pushed Leroy Hill down into the ground and then got like another four yards out of it. Uh, and then got up and threw the ball down the ground and got in his face and talked some junk. But it was a – it's the type of run and hit that you would expect a, a 250-pound running back to do, not a, you know, a guy like Reggie Bush. So it was uh, – that was an awesome play. And I agree with what you're saying, Griffin. That, when you watch that game, especially at the fourth, I mean – I mean, Paul Soliao was unblockable, it looked like. I mean, whoever was – they had James Carpenter on him, other people, and they, he just could not stop. And it's like once our defense finally takes it, finally realizes, hey, our offense is going to win this game, they got the big stop. And then on that final drive, I remember the guy on TV saying, expect a bunch of safe throws from Tannehill. Well, the first throw was a crossing pattern to Bess. Then he ran for about 15 yards. Then he threw another beautiful pass. You know, it was just like – Safe pass is nothing. This guy is just going out there and he's going to win this game. They just had that look like, yep, we're going to do it. And uh, I agree with you. I was kind of had some, you know, a uh, cautious optimism, but after that, I was, I was pretty excited. Right now, uh, now we got a big game coming up this week, and uh, you know, I would love nothing more to see, you know, several sacks on Tom the Lady Brady. You know, I just want to see that guy roughed up, and you know that the Patriot fans are going to show up in force. I mean, you know, it it always disheartens me that how many of of these doggone, you know, how our home stadium turns into uh, just a, you know, you know, like another home game for these away teams. You know, it, it just really uh, depresses me, and I, I hear this all the time. Well, Miami, we got a lot of things to do, and it's a transit. You know, you know, there's a lot of dolphins out there. There, there are a lot of fans, and I just, I just wish, if I had one, if I had three wishes, I, I would, I would get back the old home field advantage. You know, you know, but what are you gonna do? So I'll root for ten people. Count me down for ten. Yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, I've, I went, I've gone to the preseason game here in Carolina, and then I went a couple of years ago to the Thursday night game. And it seemed like to me that it was, you know, pretty even in terms of Dolphin fans there and Carolina fans. So it seems like that when the Dolphins travel, they can bring a fan base with them. They've got the fans that go places. But when they go home, those fans don't want to show up. So that baffles yeah, me, but. That, that's a phenomenon that, that I've noticed for many years. You know, I, I come across these people on road games, and they are just tooth and nail crazy. And then, and I'm not saying there aren't good fans back back at uh, Joe Robbie. You know, there are. There's a lot of good fans and a lot of diehards, man. But at the Seahawks game, you could look into the upper level. Now, how they black these games out, there's clearly lots of – I mean, the whole upper bowl – in the end zones and corners were empty. You know, I mean, it was there's a lot of empty seats up there. So how they're how they're blacking these out, you know, and and calling them what they call did they call that game a sellout? I mean, I don't know. I mean, how do they black it out? Do they just? I I, I, I think just don't know how they work. Like, I think they have to reach like eighty five percent 
and if they can get to the 85% that it won't get blacked out or something something weird like that. Well, I'm going to tell you, every so, corner in the uppers was empty, and most of the uh, uh, upper seats along the sidelines were empty in the upper bowl. You know, I mean, there were plenty of empty seats. You could have brought a – I don't know how many people. You know, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to put a number on it, but I'd say, you know, 10,000. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, what's it hold, 70,000, 65,000? But anyways, there were a lot of seats at Sunday's games that were unused, you know, a lot of seats. And uh, Mike D. just tweeted that there were just a several hundred tickets available, so you know the Patriot fans are going to pack that joint. And, uh, you know, you know, I just I, – I really – truly hope that this team can ride off the uh you know the performance that they had against Seattle and uh and step up and 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 punch them right in the face you know um you know the sooner they can get get the home crowd into it and and shut up the the Patriots fans the better off we'll all be you asked what capacity yeah. was it capacity for that place is just over 78,000 seats wow that's that's a lot of so so I don't think I'm far off the mark to say ten thousand seats were unused. I mean the whole, I mean the whole corners and the uppers were were empty. You know, but hey, it's a big it's a big place, man. It's a it's a big big place, and I and I get it, man. I just you know, like I said, if I had one wish, man, Mike D ought to give me ten thousand tickets. I'll I'll give them away to some people who'll show up and you know go nuts. You know, we don't we got ten thousand finsiders? Mike D, give me ten thousand tickets. Stephen Ross, give me ten thousand airplane tickets. I'll get you some P. I'll get you some crazy fans in there. Should look into that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, hey hey Mike, I know we're tight and Aussie. What do you say to uh small favor? I need um ten thousand <laughs> tickets. Yeah, uh, and, and while you're at it, throw in ten thousand plane tickets too. <laughs> and shit, why don't you buy us all a beer? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Well, party at Mike's house. <laughs> Anyways, hey, I could I could go on and on, man. Somebody somebody talk about something. Don't let me take over the show. Well, we'll talk about your post because I did see it and uh, I looked through the pictures and I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you just about everything, but the one thing I definitely do agree with is uh, when you're standing next to Jake Long. Oh, I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. looks like uh, the, the, uh, the Green Giant from the, the you know the Green Bean commercial, or whatever. That dude looks like yeah. And I and I'm every bit of six everybody. foot. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not the biggest guy around, but I'm not a small guy either. You know, I mean, I'm every bit of six foot, two hundred ten pounds, man. And this guy made me feel like just a little 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 kid, man. I was like, damn, you know. <laughs> and of course, you know, I got to tell you, you know. I was busting Michael's balls about the Buckeye game, right? You know, Michael's a big Michigan guy. His dad's from Ohio, went to Michigan, right? So I'm just – I wasn't busting his balls too hard because I respect i respect Michigan, man. Half my friends growing up in Toledo root for Michigan. It's a blood feud, man. We, You know, and I love the Red Wings. I love the state of Michigan. But, man, that day of the year, I – you know, F you, you know, screw Michigan. And so I let him know about it a little bit, you know. And then we're doing this little practice thing, and uh, I look over and say, son of a bitch, there's Jake Long. 
And I'm like, oh, man, Michael went over to talk to him. So I'm kind of like nodding, like, hey, man, hey, man. And then I get his attention. I said, hey, man, pitcher? And uh, he says, yeah, yeah, come on. And uh, I wasn't going to say a thing to him, man, not a not a peep, right? I got my yayas off on Michael. Was, and first thing, you know, paybacks are a bitch, man. Michael goes, you know he's a Buckeye, right? And I'm like, oh, Michael. Michael, no, 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 don't do that, Michael. And uh, sure enough, he starts busting. He goes, oh, man, well, we'll we'll let you, buy, you know, we'll get, you know. I'm like, ah. And so I had to tiptoe around that one, like, hey, man, I love Michigan, love the Red Wings, you know. <laughs> You know, just don't, you know, I go, you know, Earl Bruce was the best thing that ever happened to you guys. We didn't win a single game when that guy was coaching, you know, so I had to backpedal real quick on that one. But, uh, you know, I was, you know, out of all my pitchers, uh, that was probably the, the, the creme de la creme right there was getting a pitcher with Jake Long. And uh, so, yeah, that that was cool, man. He's a big dude. And, and you know, oh, let me let me tell you about this. So I'm watching the Buckeye game over at Boat Campers on Saturday, and in walks this dude in full uh, dolphin gear, and he's a big dude. And I go, man, he looks a lot like Jake Long. And so I Google, you know, I go, I Google real quick. I said, yep, Jake Long's got some brothers, man. I'm like, well, maybe this cat's hanging around, right? His brothers are hanging around Tom. And so, you know, he's by himself, and, you know, this dude was every bit of 300 pounds and, you know, all big and muscular. I'm like, you know, and he was by himself, and, and I eventually I strike up a conversation with him. I'm like, hey, my name's Griffin, Bob, by Chaz, and bam, I go right to my phone and look up the roster. Dude was a uh, reserve D lineman, right? And so I get to talking with him, and I just talking hobnobbing this and that about just asking him a little behind-the-scenes stuff. And uh, I say, you guys work out with the weights through the year? I mean, I I just didn't know. I, I figured, you know, if you're in the season, you, you're not hitting the weights a lot. I goes, oh, man, we hit the weights like crazy. But we're hitting the weights like five times a week. I'm like, really? I go, well, who's the big guy on the team? Who's the strong guy? He says incognito bench is like 550 pounds. I was like, 550 pounds? Oh, shoot. That's a lot well, of weight, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, like he goes, he goes incognito incognito is strong. I'm like, well, good, and he's mean, too, so I like that. I like that combination. You know, he's big and strong and mean. But uh, it was kind of neat that here I am at Bow Campers watching that, and this guy went to, uh, his name was Chaz. Uh, he's a defensive lineman. He went to Pitt, you know, and I was asking him, you know, hey, have you ever meet Marino? Did Marino ever come talk to you guys? No. He goes, but Dorsett did and a bunch of other pit guys. He goes, but he goes, I don't think Marino liked Wanstat, so that's why I never came around. I'm like, ah, it makes sense. I don't like him either. <laughs> Nobody likes Wanstad. Yeah. But I mean, well, yeah, Marino's, yeah. Marino's always been touchy about pit. I mean, thing where yeah. it's very strange he takes that at that university personally. Okay. And I mean like yeah. and that goes for everyone, they're all on water, but uh the way Marino approaches Pitt is kind of like the way uh, Bob Costas approaches baseball. He almost, like, worries about the purity of it and everything. And he's just very, like, uptight. Like, he's a... Yeah, you know, some of these... You know, you never know how some of these guys uh, are till you meet them. You know, some guys just are, you know, are just uptight people, man, and or whatever. Like, I was talking to somebody else, you know. Um, Bob Greasy... Uh, you know, I bumped into him in New York City when I went there to get some autographs. And, you know, 
uh, you know, he just came across as a really kind of, you know, like, oh, man, the fans again. Gosh, I got to go through this again. And it's just like, you know, I just felt like, you know, I best not ask for a pitcher because he might just yell at me in front of everybody. You know? You know no, so it's lucky um, to get Kevin's, uh, but, Kevin's never going to forgive me for it, but I, I got an interview with, with Bob Greasy. This is probably, I don't know, last April. They were going to use it on the fence sider, and I was just so bummed by uh, the vibe I got from that guy and the interaction and everything. I just, I couldn't use it. I was going to. I still have it. I mean, I have right. all the. I have it transcribed and everything, and I like. I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was so. Uh, and this is the actually this is the day before the draft because I had him talking about like Tannehill, and he kept calling Robert Griffin RG three. That kind of made me laugh just because he's such an right. old school guy and he's using these these terms that kids use, but I was so, uh, I wouldn't say distraught, but I was definitely bummed out by how, how that went down. Cause, I mean, this is the guy uh, I first learned about as a kid because, like, my neighbor and my relatives would tell me about Bob Greasy and when he played at Purdue and when, you know, he played at the Dolphins. And, I mean, and, and you meet him, and, I mean, I'm not going to lie, the, to- the guy was a total crab. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I got. I go, I go, God, this guy, you know, I mean, and you know, the other side of the coin is, you know, you know what? It's, it's the first, the perfect season's on its 40th anniversary, so 40 years now, this guy's got to, you know, deal with this. 40 years. I mean, he's just probably, it's like Ringo Starr. I'm not signing any more autographs, you know. I just, I just don't want to do it no more, you know. And I, I just, that's the vibe I got, you know. And you know, it is, it is what it is, and you know, as fans. You know, especially for me, these seventy-two guys. You know, these are the guys that 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 for you know they're the reason I became a dolphin fan. That and my grandparents bringing me to Florida when I was five. You know, seeing a dolphin show. You know, had they not been winners, I would not have been a dolphin fan. Period. You know, so I I, I kind of hold them in a higher regard, and when they just kind of come across as aloof or you know, however, I, I, it just really, um, you know, it, it bummed me out, you know, because I met Jim Mandage a couple times, you know, he's in the parking lot having a beer. This guy was nice as could be, nice as yeah. could be, Nat Moore, as nice as could be, you know. And, 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 you know, now do they truly enjoy the interaction with the fans? I don't know, you know. I don't know, but at least, you know, in Channing Crowder's case, in you know, in Nat Moore's case, they put on a good front. If they don't, you know, and uh, and that means a lot to a fan, you know. And and uh, you know, it's it, again, but it's there's two sides of the street, you know. I hear about one, you know, I've heard plenty of stories about Marino being kind of uh, a jerk, but yet when I paid my hundred seventy dollars to get my autograph and, and picture, he was uh, you know as cool as could be. Now I paid one hundred seventy dollars, so he probably had the cool cool demeanor going but um you know who's to say you know i mean you know these guys are hounded for autographs and pictures constantly you know and and you know what though that that should be a part of the job description and i'm so tired of these people that that get into this this uh profession or the same thing with like rock stars it's like if you get into something where you're in the, the public eye that much and everything. It's just a, it's a part of it. And it's so funny because it's like when it goes away, then they miss it. Right. But, well, I can tell you a couple couple rock star stories. I mean, back in the '80s, a good friend of mine, uh, 
got me backstage quite a bit. And I remember in the heyday going to meet the band Rat, right? And these guys were the biggest egotistical jerks. And I just looked at my buddy. I said, you know, they're not the Rolling Stones. They're they're going to crest, and then they're going to plummet like a rock. And then where are they going to be? And I just remember saying that. And, and I, you know, and then I remember, you know, we met. He got me backstage, and I met Ronnie James Dio. And this guy was as cool as could be and was genuinely interested in what I had to say, and we held a conversation. I met Gordy Howe a couple times. Same thing. Guy was as, you know, he was just as cool as could be, you know. So I guess it just, it, it, it plays to the thing that we're all different. Some people are just cut differently, man. Some people, you know, just deal with that situation differently. And, and I'll never know that situation, man. I'll never know what it's like to be famous. Yeah. Or will I? Or will I? Or will I? I don't know. Maybe you will. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I still want to have this discussion with you about racks and actually like very, very differently related to Warren D. Martini. So it just it makes me laugh. That, uh, we can, we'll talk about this some other time. I'll message you. But, uh, I'll yeah. by saying that quite possibly the ugliest uh, band of the, uh, the 80s uh, hair metal thing. Yeah, well, never yeah. seen such a such a gruesome bunch. So, well, uh, you know, there's a reason why they grew their hair so long over their face. You know, they're, they're terrible. <laughs> and also, it's yeah. easy to crash and burn when you write one song. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's just like, getting back to what what we were talking about. It, it's a total letdown when when you you meet these people that you you downright idolize. And I remember being a little kid and sitting at the table. At the dinner table, my dad would talk about how he was like, you just know that Marino is just a jerk and all this stuff. And at the time, I was like, no, that's not possible. There's no way. And then he grew up, and you're like, yeah, my old man's probably right. So, and I mean, that was, that was very much the, the feeling I had when I, when I interviewed uh, Bob Greasy last spring. And I know that every time something like an interview thing comes up, Kevin's always like, well, are you going to use the Greasy thing ever? And I was like, no. Just, I mean, I just... I mean that thing. That thing is going to uh, one of the grave with me. It was. Just, I mean, it was just fifteen minutes of of pure hell. Right, right, and you know, nothing, nothing's worse than when you're having that conversation, and the level of uncomfortableness just intensifies. I'm like, man, I don't want to be here. How do I get out of this situation? I've painted myself into the corner. I'm in this conversation with this dude, and I'm like, you know. There's times where I just, you know, I, in my past, I had no filter. And to this day, I still try to minimize the filter. But there's times where I just want to cock off and say what's right on my mind. Like, man, get over yourself, you know. It's, it's, it's you know, yeah, you know, like the Bob Greasy thing for me was a, fi- you know, I, I said this to somebody. I go, if he signed everybody's stuff and took a picture with everybody who was there that in that lobby, it would have took him five minutes, maybe 10 at the most, maybe 10, because there's only like 15 of us. And I'm thinking this guy just seems so uninvolved and just, you know, like, oh, fuck, the fans again, the fans, oh, you know. I'm like, dude, you work for the Dolphins. You're on the, you know, you you got to expect this every place you go before day in and day out, man. So I don't know, you know, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to – I'm going to keep pressing on doing what I do and, uh, 
I, I'm not going to let Bob Greasy rain on my parade. I'm sure he'll be uh-huh. shits, shits, and giggle, shits and giggles when they get together with the whole team and everybody. So I'm glad that uh, I was the only person who had that uh, experience with uh, or that sort of interaction with Greasy. I actually feel a lot better after hearing that. Uh, who was the uh, who's the coolest Dolphin player, past, present, doesn't matter, that you've met? Well, you know, I, I've always spoke very highly of Channing Crowder, you know. Um, but John Offerdahl is a goofy son of a gun, too, man. I mean, he is just – and, you know, he's – and uh, not to plug his thing, but he's got a uh, – there's something going on in Pompano Beach this weekend where he's doing the Gridiron Griller, and he's got like 25 uh, former Dolphins uh, hanging out with these famous chefs doing a high-end grilling thing. And uh, he was, he's always, every time I've bumped into him, he's always jovial and joking around and just a, a real jokester and having a good time and just really cool, you know. I mean, I've got some, now he's not long on the conversation, but he'll, he's always got a smile on his face and he's, he's take a picture, no problem, <clears throat> you know, so. What, a, what about, um, you know, because uh, my favorite players, and I mean, this is, Partly due to the time I grew up watching the Dolphins, but my favorite guys were Madison and Sertan. Did you ever meet either of them? Patrick Sertan, you said? Yes. Uh, never met him, but I'll tell you a funny story about uh, Sam Madison. <clears throat> my buddy that I run with in the deep end is uh, his family owns a manufacturing, a uh, clothing manufacturer, and they're a, spon- uh, they're a large uh, a sponsor of uh, the Dolphins Fins Weekend. And uh, so there, here we're at this, this fundraiser, this, the, the fishing tournament after party, the captain's party they call it, and Sam Madison was wearing one of his shirts. And he, just, he, he goes, hey, how do you like the shirt? You know, and Sam didn't know anything from anything. He goes, yeah, I don't really like it. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, oh, yeah, well, that's our company shirt. And he's like, oh, yeah. So he had to backpedal out of that one. It was kind of funny. Like, yeah, that's our company shirt, you know, because he was like in their gift bag, you know. And it's like a high-end uh, fishing shirt, like that's uh, wicking and, you know, it's 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 just one of those high-end like a, like a Columbia sportswear, I guess they 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 compete with them. It's it's called the uh, hook and tackle, and it's a uh, you know and it, uh, you know I've toured their their place. I mean they make nice stuff, and they have another line that's like uh, competes with Tommy Bahama. But it was just kind of funny. He said, "Hey, how you like the shirt, Sam?" He goes, "Yeah, I can't stand it." You know, and he's like, "What? That's our shirt." You know, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's okay." <laughs> you know, you know. So that was kind of a funny story. What about but, uh, uh Zach Thomas was, you know, he was he was cool. He was cool, man. And uh, especially, you know, I talked to him for about five minutes or so, and I've talked to him a couple times uh, at after the DCC. You know, I say, hey, man, I got this, you know, this Hall of Fame bust, and uh, you know, so it was it was kind of cool to uh, ha- get a picture with my Hall of Fame bust with Zach Thomas because I've always liked linebackers, always. Hey, you know, I mean. You know, I like those guys that hit. You know, when I play hockey, I'm a defenseman. I go in front of the net, and I look I look for those guys to go go smash into, you know. I'm like, yeah, come in front of the net so I can go smash into you. You know, go into the corner because I'll be there waiting. You know, I'm going to come in there. And uh, so I've always had that linebacker mentality. Go for them, you know. And so 
Zach Thomas, you know, he he's one of my heroes. You know, it was, it was John Offerdahl and Zach Thomas, you know. And, uh, you know, when I bust out that thing, he's like, man, that is cool as heck, you know. So and that was a cool interaction, you know. I'm just waiting for the day I get to meet Jason Taylor, you know. I, I've, I've got him to sign a couple things once before, but I've never met him. So. Yeah. That that would be pretty exciting. I think the first Dolphin player I really idolized was uh, O.J. McDuffie, <laughs> of all people. Uh, yeah, and and he's an Ohioan, you know. Yeah. So I was so, I was a big yeah. O.J. McDuffie fan. I came and say I was a big O.J. fan because then people think I'm talking about O.J. Simpson. But uh, O.J. sits just to the left. I'm sorry, just to the right of the deep end in there, and. uh not this last game, but the game before, I had my Ohioan by birth sign, and I shot it down to him while he was down by the field, and I got a picture of him holding my sign. So that was kind of cool. That's and cool. Uh, hey, let me just let me say one other thing. Uh, I didn't see, you know, I gave away those tickets to uh, be serious, and I didn't see him at the game or anything, but uh, he just seemed so happy to get those tickets, man. I just wonder if, if he's around out there, if he could. Uh, put a post up or something, man, how how his day went at the game, at the Seahawks game. Because the last thing he said to me, man, hey, thanks for the tickets. Let's get a win. I said, yeah, buddy, let's get that win. So I'm just wondering how his, his experience went down at, at the game. And he said he was taking his dad there. So if you're listening, be serious. Post, call, do something, man. want to know how that went down for you. <laughs> and Boy, we got so off track. Well, I'm, I mean, I was talking about golf and stuff, but it's funny how this conversation just sort, sort of uh, veers in very weird directions. Well, that's that's why you got to let me go. I'm going to get off the phone, man, because I will take your conversation. Before you know it, I'm going to be talking about uh, my favorite bike chain oil, you know. So, anyways, guys. Go Dolphins! Let's get uh, let's get that lady Tom Brady on his on his backside, and uh, you know Tannehill with some more uh, big passing uh, completions, and uh, have a big game and shut up them uh, Patriots fans. Guys, it's been real, and I will uh, talk to you real soon. Take care. Later, Rob. All right, guys. Have a good show. Thank you. And uh, speaking of the Patriots, Strange has been uh, posting on the, the site some, some questions about uh, the game, namely who should step up, how can we, who should step up and help him stop Brady, um, you know, what can we do in that regard. And I thought of this today, and it's something very interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm going to have to dig around for it. While I'm doing that, a piece of Dolphins news, uh, Earl Thomas was fined $15,000 for his hit on Tannehill, the one that took away the interception uh, and uh, let him go on the very next play. So, so he was fine for he the hit those, that everybody said was, was a BS call? It's interesting. Yeah, he, he was fined 15000 for that. Huh. So. I don't know. I think our, our pass rush is, is something that we're willing to die by with uh, on Sunday. And that sounds obvious, but if you can't get him for Sean Tom Brady, he's going to annihilate you. And, and Frank, yeah. and, you know, from our conversation yesterday that I don't have the most faith in our secondary. I think we have some good players. I think we can do good things in our secondary. But Tom Brady comes to town. If you have a pass rush and you have 
uh, that kind of personnel in your secondary, you're asking for it. So we should do as a team. If I was game planning for this, my game plan would be take away as much as you can underneath and force Tom Brady to beat you deep. And here are a couple of stats. Uh, it says, of Tom Brady's 3,299 yards this season, 399 of them have come on passes where the time to throw was 1.5 seconds or less. He has completed 50 of 54 passes in a short time period for three touchdowns. So he, uh, if he has 1.5 seconds or less to throw, he's pretty much money on it. However, looking back to the Jets game, on passes that were thrown 10 yards or longer, he was only two for seven on those passes. And I've read some stuff, and I've heard some people say that, you know, the one thing that Tom Brady looks doesn't look as sharp at this year is his deep passing. And so I think he likes to rely heavily on the underneath stuff, throwing the little uh, short patterns to the tight end and Welker and, and whatnot. And those longer patterns, he he doesn't like to throw those as much. So if I, I mean, if it were me, and I'm no expert, but if it were me, my goal would be to take away all of those short, quick patterns, force him to stay in the pocket longer, which is going to help, you know, guys like Wade get to him, but also it's going to play to what little bit of weakness he has, and that's throwing the deep ball. And, you know, I don't know that our secondary can do that, but that, that would be what I would try to do. Now, he'll probably you know, play the ball for 700 yards if we let him do that because that's just seems to what happens with Tom Brady. But, you know, that would be my game plan towards stopping him, make him throw deep, make him take away those comfortable passes and make him throw stuff that he's not as comfortable throwing uh, and, and give give our defenders more time to get, in, get into the pocket and disrupt him a little bit. Who do you think uh, – who do you think has been the biggest surprise on defense this year? I would say the biggest surprise. Um, wow, there, there's not been a whole lot of surprises. Um, I mean, you, you mean talk about, I guess, a positive surprise. Um, I would say I'm going to go with Rashad Jones. And I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but uh, Pro Football Focus has him ranked as the number one safety in the league. He's making he, – he's not necessarily been a game-changing guy, but he is fairly good in coverage. He only allows like a 50 – I think it's less than 50-some percent completion or percentage or something. I don't remember. I read something about it today. It's a pretty good number indicating, you know, when he's in coverage. He's had two interceptions, two forced fumbles. Uh, he's got 63 tackles. Um, you know, I think he's playing well at a position that going into the season we thought was going to be a dire need. And while we could maybe upgrade from him and get a guy that's a little more game-changing, it's not – that need is not um, – and no, John Jerry is not a, a surprise on the defense. Um, <laughs> that was from Keith. <laughs> and, uh, and I agree with Strange and Agent J78 on the side. that said Cole Meese and Kevin Burnett. Those guys are playing well. Um you know, I didn't expect – I expected Messi to maybe play a little bit better as a 4-3 linebacker, but I think he's doing well. He, you know, his job is a, is a strong side, run-stuffing guy, and he's doing that well. 
uh, Burnett's playing well, uh, covering guys, getting in on the tackles. Um, but on the defense, I would say Jones, just because for, mo- for most people, he's playing he's playing at least better than what people expected him to play. I mean, we kind of figured our corners would be okay, but our our safeties would be really bad. And it's kind of almost flipped the way around where our safeties are okay. They're not the liability as much as our corners are. Um, Nolan Carroll surprised me a little bit. I think he's playing better than I expected Nolan Carroll to play. But he's iffy. So I, I'm going to stick with Jones. Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? I'm here. Chris. Can anyone hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. A little glitch there. Yeah, I think everything just dropped out for a second. Keith, you still with us? I am. Okay. And uh, I guess we're still on the air, so and, and yes. strange to talk yeah, about guy stepping up on the offensive side. I think that it's uh, I think Charles Clay needs to continue to play well. Right now, he's our our best player and that can work kind of the middle of the field, uh, especially if Fasano is he was limited in practice, so he needs um, you know he he's going to be maybe limited in the game. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting big things from Matthews in the future. I don't think he is uh, the answer right now, but, you know, during that Buffalo game, watching him, he beat, it was Leotis McKelvin that he beat. He beat him by at least two steps, got by him, and, of course, there was the penalty. He made a catch, uh, you know, and this week, I believe, um, it was Morton's post talks about that Brandon Browner pretty much eliminated him, which that's fine, it let Bess go off. So um, I think he's a guy that's going to, it's going to fill that number three spot in the future, maybe number four, depending on who we get in the draft or free agency or whatever. But I like his potential, and I think given New England's weakness in the secondary, he's a guy that we can use his speed to exploit them and maybe get some big plays. So I would like to see him step up this week. I see how you're going that, so I'm going to leave uh, the two of you at it. And uh, before I go, actually, I agree. Go with Misi or or Jones as the biggest surprise as we talked about. I really want to beef up on our pass rush, and I hope that we're able to do that um, this offseason. I, I like Olivier Vernon, and I think that uh, he serves as a, a good augmentation right now to your usual pass rush. I think you get somebody in there who commands as much respect as someone like Cameron Wake. Now that it sounds a little ridiculous to say, like, you want to go out and find another DeMarcus Ware or another Jason uh, Deere Paul, but I think that's something you really need to consider. Yeah, I'm, um, you know, and I'm not overly concerned about this game, I mean, because we're expected to lose. So if we go out there, I mean, this could be anywhere from 50 to nothing to a 21-14 type game because we never know it's a it's a, it's a divisional rivalry, divisional matchup. Both tend to be tend to be typically closer. Our team's playing better, especially on defense. Um, 
So, I don't know. But I, I just want us to go out there and play well. I mean, if we, if we go out there and Tannehill plays well and, and we do well in this game, I think that, uh, you know, I think we got a chance to beat those guys. And I'm looking forward to just seeing what we can do against them. Yeah, I agree with you. We've all, we've lost uh, we've lost Keith, so it's just you and me now, man. Okay. <laughs> I think Kevin's not calling in. He's just home to fight. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin's doing all he can to get in. He's he's having uh, all sorts of technical difficulties this evening. All right. Well, as uh, we were talking about, you know, some guys that can step up. It's going, you know, there's going to be interesting players. Uh, interesting on both sides of the ball for the Dolphins, uh, guys that need to step up and, 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 and play well in order for us to have a chance. Um, our secondary needs to tighten up a little bit. Our pass rush needs to get a little more uh, aggressive in getting to the quarterback. Um, on offense, we need to continue being aggressive. I think that was uh, something positive that we saw from the Seattle Seahawks game as Kevin posted today about the uh, little end-around play that we ran three different three different times in three different ways. I think we need to keep being creative on offense, get the ball in Bush's hands, uh, Bess's hands, try to get the ball hard line as much as possible, get the ball to, in the hands of our guys that can make plays, uh, Charles Clay. You know, we can't – it seems to me that watching these Dolphins games is we have – we, we We've been a streaky team all season. We'll win three, lose three, kind of kind of thing. And it seems to be that way on the offensive side of the ball. Is we'll have a we'll have a quarter like the fourth quarter where we just go off and score seventeen points, and then we'll have a drought, you know, where we don't score as much. So I think the offense just needs to get more consistent and be aggressive because we can't afford to have you know a lot of failed drives against the Patriots, or they're going to get up big and, and we're going to be in trouble. So. I think that's important. Um, James, how do you feel about the game? Um, I felt good about this last game, but you know, I'm I'm frustrated with the way they play because, like like you were saying about the offense, um, several of those games, it was it was like we couldn't do anything. It was just like the whole offense. All of a sudden, they were just playing it and seeing that we couldn't. We couldn't get a receiver open. We couldn't protect Tannehill for two seconds. I mean, nothing seemed to be working. We couldn't run the ball. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, how does that happen? All of a sudden, you're you're one of the better running teams in the league, and all of a sudden, you can't run at all against teams against te- some teams that are terrible at defending the run, no less. I don't even know how to explain that. I don't I don't know yeah. what was going on. And, and then you go up against one of the better run defenses in the NFL, and you let them up for nearly 200 yards. Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense. It's it, it's it's you know you take our strengths and put them against another team's weakness where we should dominate them, and we we get killed. I don't understand. It's it's yeah, it, it, I don't know. If it's it's almost way. like like go ahead. It's it's almost like we play down to the lesser teams. And then when a better team comes in, we play up. That, yeah. You can't you can't make a living in the NFL like that. It's, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll play up to the Patriots level. Um, and, you know, I think that's something else that, you know, we were talking about Tannehill earlier and his development. I think that's something that shows that, 
you know, look at what he's doing with what he's been given. Uh, we've given him a great running game. Um, at least we did for part of the season. But we went into the season with Hartline and Bess, guys that, you know, everybody's like, well, Bess is a good slot receiver. A lot of people just completely dismissed Hartline. Um, we've got Marlon Moore and Rashad Matthews. That's our receivers on the team. Yet, um, Bess and Hartline are all on, all on pace, both on pace to get 80 catches and over 1,000 yards. So, I mean, when you look at what he's done with that type of, with that those types of players, and those, those guys are good, but they're not game-breaking talent. You know, what's he going to be like once he gets some real game-breaking talent at receiver? What's he going to be like when he gets that guy that can beat everybody deep with speed, and he just sits back there and just, you know, floating deep balls down the field scoring touchdowns all the time? So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's something to look forward to, I think. And I've been impressed with what our receivers have done, but it also gives me, you know, something to look forward to for next season when we get when we get some of those guys. Because imagine if we picked up somebody like Mike Wallace in the in the, in the offseason. Imagine a guy like that going down the middle of the field, outrunning everybody in Tannehill, just sitting back there in the pocket and just lobbying up a dart to him and, and scoring like that. So, I mean, I think that what you're saying about playing to the level of our opponents, I think we've been kind of inconsistent in those areas. But I think hopefully this Seattle game kind of turned that corner and now we realize we've got a little bit of an identity. We kind of know what we want to do. Maybe we can go out there and execute a little bit. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the the, the, the coaches, it's the coaches' job to make sure that they're up for every team and Hopefully they learned a lesson after dropping three. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out over the next few games we have left. And uh, I mean, the, the 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 big concern, I guess, in the Forty ers game, number one is going to be their defense because they have a really good defense. Uh, and number two is going to be Colin Kaepernick and his scrambling ability because it seems like guys that can run quarterbacks that can run the ball. Well, we tend to struggle against. Uh, and yeah, I'm not. He's probably not looking forward to that game. For some reason, the Patriots never really scare me that much. Even though I know traditionally we seems like we play. You know, obviously we play them twice a year, and it seems like we get blown out in one game, and then the other game we either beat them, win the game, or are very competitive in the game. So. You know who knows who knows what we're going to see against them. Yeah. But I but I but I did see a stat. Um, I think one of the Patriots fans actually posted it in the Ask a Pats fan post where uh, they basically said that over the last ten years the Patriots have only lost three games in December, which that that stat alone is amazing. But all three of those games were against the Dolphins, which is rather rather impressive. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, we've got a tough road ahead of us, so I'm just—I just want to see the team play, play consistently, and play well. I mean, even if we play our best and we lose, I'd rather see that than you know just inconsistency on different sides of the ball. And, and, and I just—I I really like to beat the Patriots. I mean, I don't know what media is going to be like if we beat the Patriots. I think that's part of the issue with uh, 
here too. I don't That's know where it's coming I was, from. I was busy trying to call in. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and there's well, I, I was unmuting myself and everything. So sorry about that. Hey guys, thank you for coming for me tonight. I'm sorry I got called into work unexpectedly, and then my phone died, and it's just been a long night. So um, obviously, and when Kevin gets called into work, I was going to say when Kevin gets called into work, a tank is involved. So. <laughs> No, not tonight. Tonight was just stupidity. So, uh, it was just fun-filled time, not expected to be called in. So, uh, Thank you guys for covering down. Everybody in the live thread, thank you for keeping the conversation going. Keith, I know he had to go, but thank him for calling in, too, because, yeah, I kind of dropped the ball today. So, uh, okay, so what's on your guys' minds? Not that you haven't been talking for like an hour already. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something. I was gonna write a fan post, and or not a fan post, but a, a main article. When I finally figured out how to do it now, I don't know why I wasn't able to, but that's neither here nor there. But I was thinking about this the other day, and I, you know, I DVR all the games, and I go back and watch them, and I've been watching the Seahawks game every day. I do it on my lunch break, do it at night when there's nothing else on TV just because it was an awesome game and we won. But in every game, there's always a, a hidden play, a play that will never make highlight reels, but a play that is key to the outcome of the game. Uh, and I was going back and watching it, and it goes back to the very last offensive play that we ran. Now, on the last drive of the game, there was an interesting uh, interesting situation. Uh, Rashad Matthews was standing in the, you know, five yards behind the line of scrimmage. I don't know what he was doing. We were going up to spike the ball. Tannehill spikes the ball. He runs up to the line. Illegal motion penalty. Everybody was saying, oh, there should be a 10-second runoff. Well, I got some clarification on that today. I read something about it. Because the results of that penalty doesn't stop the clock. If it was been a false start penalty uh, that did stop the clock, there would have been a 10-second runoff. But because that particular play didn't, there wouldn't be a 10-second runoff, but because Tannehill spiked the ball, the results of the play stopped the clock, even though it doesn't count for statistical purposes. Kind of weird. Right. But anyway, at the final, Seattle had one timeout. When the whistle blew at the end of our final offensive play, there was 20 seconds left. Now, the reason this, I call it a hidden play and a very key play is Daniel Thomas picked up the first down. Had Daniel Thomas not picked up the first down, now, it didn't really make a difference in terms of the field goal. You know, let's say he had got stopped at the line of scrimmage. I think it was third and three. Three yards wouldn't have made a difference on that particular field goal. However, had he not got the first down, Seattle could have used their timeout, gotten the ball back with 10 to 12 seconds left in the game. We had already given up a kickoff return touchdown, and we saw what happened at the end of the Green Bay game, at the end of the Patriots game. So because he picked up that first down, Seattle, using that timeout didn't matter. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, because he picked that up, we were able to run the clock out of the way we did and didn't give Seattle a chance to get the ball back. So that's one of those hidden plays that will never show up on a highlight reel, but was very, very key, in my opinion, to us stealing the win. Yeah. Um, and that was, what my, that was what my post was going to be about, so I just thought I'd bring it up now. There you go. It'll be a good post. Make sure you write it. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I think you're right. I think it's yep. I, I I'm stumbling over words. I don't have anything else to say. I think you summed it up pretty well. <laughs> I'm scrolling through. Uh, Strange would like well, Strange would like to know if you drove your tank to work today. No, I drove my truck. I don't drive the tank very often anymore. Yeah, it's, it's not a real it's not a real uh, efficient way to just get around. I'm looking through Ohio's post right now on the his fan post. I like yeah. uh, Mini Marino made the big screen. <laughs> Mini Marino made it onto the big screen at Sunlight Stadium. Oh my! Uh, fun times. But uh, it's strange to talk about Daniel Thomas on on the side. He says he deserves credit for his play of late. Is he a beast? And uh, I, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago that you know I, you know I had made fun of him earlier for being a soft player. And he is absolutely running like he is angry at the world. I mean, yeah. it, it seems like his field vision has improved. He's he's hitting the hole now. He's making the cuts, but he doesn't go down immediately unless there's like four guys on him. And when and and that uh, and the drive where we scored the Charles Clay touchdown, Tannehill threw that little jump pass to him, and he's running out of the backfield, and he makes the most ridiculous cut. That if like you watch it again, you think how his knee survived that. I don't know. He was yeah. running full speed and just kind of planted and went the other direction, and the guy just whiffed. And you know, I expect that from a guy like Reggie Bush or Lamar Miller, or a guy of that ilk. You know, you see a guy like Thomas, and he's just going to keep running straight and bowl over a guy to make a move like that. I was like, wow. And then you know, just the way he's been running. So, and and I think part of the reason I think that's a, a very good thing is not because it just gives us another weapon. But before, when he was just, you know, running forward and falling down for two yards, when he came into the game, every, the defense could kind of sit back and say, all right, he's in there because he's a pass protector. Yep. Now, they knew Bush wasn't going to be there. They knew Miller wasn't going to do that. But now when he's in the game, you have to respect the fact that he averaged 6.8 yards to carry that game. So – People are having to pay attention to his running ability, so we can run play action with him in there. We can actually – it actually enhances the passing game because he's running better now. Yep. Absolutely agree. I think uh, – and I hadn't thought about it until you were talking about it just now. He may be the exact reason why Lamar Miller was inactive. <laughs> they realize he's back running hard. All we need is Bush and Thomas, and they could keep somebody else active – if they don't carry as many running backs. So that could be why, because I still don't understand why he's not active. In the end, I guess we didn't really need him, so I guess they were right in making him inactive. But, yeah, I think Thomas, it, it could very easily be he's healthy now. Um, the speed of the game has come down for him, and he. I think the other thing is he trusts that new helmet since they've gone to the oversized helmet for him, I think he trusts it and he knows he's better protected and he's going to go in there and hit the hole hard. Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think Thomas, he may not be enough to declare him a beast, but he's definitely 
an added weapon right now. So, this stinks. Like, I have to sit near the wall because my phone is still plugged in because I'm trying to charge it and talk on it at the same time. Uh, I don't like sitting this close to the wall. I feel like I'm in time out as a kid or something. <laughs> and so and Keith and I discussed uh we discussed the um the as um as Randy Starks put it, the um, dropping uh <laughs> the dropping of boys of Tannehill. Uh what are your thoughts on, on, on that fourth quarter, how he stepped up and performed like he did? You know, what was going through your mind as you were watching that? Um, a lot of what was going through my mind, and if you look through, if you check my timeline uh, from on Twitter and since it posts onto Facebook also, um, if you check my timeline, a lot of my thoughts were, how is Omar going to downplay this? Because that's all I could think of was, this is the kill he keeps talking about needing to see from Tannehill. How is he going to downplay it so that it's not the kill that he needs to see from Tannehill? Because that that was an awesome fourth quarter. I think that I haven't actually looked at the stats. I think I read it on our site. But I know I read it somewhere that he had a 158.3 perfect passer rating in the fourth quarter. And um, that it, it was it literally – that fourth quarter started, and it literally looked like he went, you know what, guys, we're not losing this game. And he put the team on his shoulders, and he said, let's go. And he drove them down there for the score. They came right back with that kickoff return, and he went, okay, let's do it again, and took them down and scored again. And then he got the ball back and said, you know what, let's win this thing. And he took them down and put them in position for Dan Carpenter to do Dan Carpenter's thing inside of 40 yards or inside of 45 yards. So over 45 yards, we have problems. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's not enough to declare Tannehill as a franchise quarterback. But it definitely is another step in that process, and it's definitely good to see him have that moment. And I think it does help him develop, and it helps him get his confidence up. So that way, again, the Patriots or against the 49ers or even against Chad Henney, who somehow magically looked good in Jacksonville. I think it's all about the mustache. Um, <laughs> I think as those guys come in, he knows, at least he knows that he can step up and take that offense and will it to a victory. Now, if the Patriots are coming in and throwing up 49-55 points on the scoreboard, we might have a problem. But, I mean, we, we always play the Patriots hard. We always play them well. Um, I think you just said it a little while ago, Chris, that anytime the Patriots lose in December, it's to the Dolphins. So, um, I, if we can split with the Patriots this year, I'm happy. And I think a performance, a fourth quarter performance like what Tannehill just did, at least gives him the confidence that he could do that again. Yeah, and I think that when you look at that type of performance, and, and, and to give Omar credit, he did he did credit Tannehill with the kill. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and it, I mean, like I was telling Keith, the, the announcer on TV, he said, well, now expect a bunch of safe throws from Tannehill, and then on that very final drive. And on that last drive, it was anything but safe throws. I mean, it, yeah. he, he was, it was surgical precision out there, just dicing and slicing them up. And like that, you know, and, and and to watch him do it, it was kind of like, man, it's no big deal, you know. This is something I do when I'm bored, kind of kind of look that he had while he was doing it. And I think what it would give him confidence for is not just that he can bring a team back in the fourth quarter, but now that he, that he this has kind of become his offense. Because even in the preseason, we were talking about, yeah, Tannehill is the quarterback of the future and whatever, but this is still, you know, the Reggie Bush offense. This is his offense. And now I think it's become Tannehill's offense. He's the guy. And when you have a performance like that, when you go out there and make the plays that he did, it's kind of like saying, "This is." he's kind of saying, this is my team now. I'm going to do this. And if that if that was the moment that just happened, I think every Dolphin fan can be excited because – yeah, our team's limited by, you know, personnel. But when we get the personnel, you know, if that Tannehill makes that transition, then we're going to be seeing, you know, games like we haven't seen in you know, over ten years. So, yeah. I think uh, I think one of the things that'll be fun to watch this weekend is some like stadium because. They declared this game a sellout like a month ago. That they said, "Hey, we've sold out. We've met the threshold." Which I say sellout, which is really the threshold is eighty five percent right now because we are one of the few teams that dropped our threshold all the way down to eighty five percent. But we declared it a sellout like a month ago. Now, obviously, when you saw the pictures of the crowd this past Sunday, there was nobody there. And yet, once Tannehill started that run in the fourth quarter, the uh, somebody's fire or smoke detector going off. That's me. Sorry. Then <laughs> <laughs> I feel like somebody's cursing, and we're getting the sensor beat. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I think that when that crowd started going crazy, it was loud in there. And it wasn't obviously as loud as it could be. It wasn't anywhere like what would have been the uh, crowd in Seattle. But from TV at least, I mean, I wasn't at the game, so people that were at the game, tell me if you saw it differently. But at the game, the crowd sounded decent. And then with a performance like that, it may actually make it so people want to go to this Patriots game this Sunday. And if we can get the crowd involved, we could have something for the Patriots. I mean... That defense has to step up, though. I mean, that, that's what it's going to come down to. Tannehill can do what Tannehill can do. But if the defense isn't able to keep it close, it'll just be ugly. Yeah, and, and you know, listening to the crowd on TV, it was kind of one of those things. That I think it just, it, it, it's conditioning that, you know, when we – when they got the ball back, and I remember uh, they threw that 20-yard pass to uh, the tight end McCoy, and there was a mix yeah. up in our coverage, and, and it was kind of like you had the sinking feeling, like here it goes again. And then we got huge three huge stops by the defense uh, and got the ball back. But even then, I mean, to me, kind of knowing the situation, I was like, as long as we get past midfield, we're safe. 
Because even if we miss a field goal, even if we turn it over, you know, it's a tie ball game. We're not losing. It's just going to overtime. That kind of favors the home team. But it, 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 you listen to the crowd, it's kind of like he throws the ball to Beth on the very first play, and all of a sudden there's excitement. Like, wait, wait a minute, we haven't seen this. And then he takes off runs, and it's like, oh, even more excitement. But then he kind of dies down. It's almost as if the crowd is expecting something bad to happen. Like, they're just waiting for that back-breaking pick. And I think it's just conditioned from years of watching that, you know, like, here it goes again. We're going to get our hopes built up and get dashed by, you know, a, a bad play. And then it didn't happen. So when the kick goes through the uprise, and even, you know, Carpenter this year has not even been money. So when it goes through, it's kind of like, oh, crap, we just did that. That just happened. That was good, and that happened to us. And the yep. crowd kind of reacted that way. It's like, yay, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yay, oh, wait a minute. And so when, it, when the game was finally over, we could actually continue to cheer. So... I mean, maybe that's bad of us. I don't know, but that's kind of how I took it. <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. I mean, and it, it's the same thing as that uh, that um, roughing the passer penalty. I wanted to say replay, and I was like, no, that's not right. That roughing the passer penalty. I mean, every, everybody looks at it and goes, okay, what was he supposed to do? I mean, he's in the air. It's not like he can suddenly stop himself. But um, I sat there, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wait, that was called on Seattle. That was a penalty called against somebody, and it helped Miami. And it was like it it literally took a second for it to process that, wait, that was a good thing. And, yeah, I think think you're right. There's definitely a, a hesitation of, oh, wait, that was good. We can cheer for that. So, yeah, and hopefully, because on the on the live thread during the game, I remember uh, I think it was Potem said that uh, we talked about it, like, oh wait, there's a penalty. And he's like, I still think Seattle keeps the ball. <laughs> so you're just one of those kind of things, like, oh yeah, it was a penalty, great, but it's still an interception. And then we wiped it out, you know, wiped it away. We're like, wait a minute, that was yeah. great. And, and and what makes that doubly great is that is a mistake Tannehill can learn from. They did yep. come back to bite it, so. Yep, exactly. But Tannehill, Tannehill made a horrible decision on that throw and never should let that ball go. And I think the best part of that is he then stepped up and said, you know what, okay, I I, I made a mistake, put it behind me, let's move on. And he kept going. And the team came back from it. So, I think uh, I think you're right. It's a mistake you can learn from without ever actually having made the mistake. Because nowhere does it say he was intercepted. It says one interception on that game, and that was number two right there. And that first interception was a bad decision by him too. So, I mean, he's still going to make rookie mistakes and fully expect him to make rookie mistakes. But the fact that we can see moments like the fourth quarter, and think about that. We haven't seen – somebody who could go out there and make a kill like that for a while. And he did it back in his first year as a starter. I mean, we saw it a couple times from him, but it never felt like that, at least from my memory, where it was like everything went for Miami. And it felt like Tannehill simply took the team and said, let's go. So. And 
Yeah, and I, I think Omar did mention on Twitter, they said, well, now, remember, he had a kill like this in 09. It was the, the Monday Night Jets game. Yeah. But I remember that game, and he did make a couple of crucial throws. I will give him credit for that. And uh, even Pat White stepped in with a big six-yard run to get a first down. But it seemed like our drive to win the game was based off the running game, and he wasn't asked to do as much. That's just the way I remember it. Maybe I'm wrong. But in this game, we had the ball at the 10-yard line with 92 seconds left, and we pretty much just said, he gave the ball to Tannehill and said, win or lose it, buddy. And he did. He went out and won the game. And to me, that was more of a sign of, than what we did with anybody else, was that he he made the plays that he needed to. We didn't handcuff him. We didn't say, all right, we're going to let you run the ball. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to limit what you do. We're going to make – you're going to make the plays, and we're going to sink or swim with it. And that, to me, was, was more promising than what we saw in the past because, you know, it's like the, the training wheels were not on there, and it seemed like the training wheels were on with, with everybody else. So, um, so yeah, that 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 was promising in, in, in that regard. It's kind of like he took he took over. Yeah, I want to before I that one on my name, but just meaning. You can join in. Let us know what you thought of Tannehill's fourth quarter. Give us a call at 347-326-9461. We'll get you on the air and just know what you thought of quarter Tannehill and how you compare it to what we saw in Chad Henney's first season as a starter. Um, what I was thinking was there's a difference between the team that Tannehill has right now and the team that Henney had that first year. They have a starter. Now, this is rookie year, but it's a starter. And I think the difference is the year before. The Dolphins are coming out of an 11-5 and season. They believe they can win. The Dolphins this year are coming out of three losing seasons in a row. This team doesn't know how to win. And I know that the 11-5 and year came after a 1-15 and year and everything, but that team in 2009 fully expected to go out there and compete, and then they didn't. So, and I'm not blaming it all on Henny. It He got thrown into the starter role when Chad Pennington went down, and that team could have probably been different under Chad Pennington because of how well Pennington managed games and how experienced he was. But that team thought it was a team capable of winning. This team this year came into this year, and all the vibrato and all the talk about how great a team they are and how they expect to win, you know those players did not expect to be Super Bowl contenders. The playoffs were a distant thought. Maybe they can make a run, but it wasn't anything concrete. They expected to have a down year as they got ready and got Tannehill the experience. Because you don't expect a rookie quarterback to go out there and win. And maybe this year changes that because Andrew Luck is winning, RG3 is winning, not like Luck is, but RG3 is winning, Tannehill is winning, um, Russell Wilson is winning, the Browns and Brandon Whedon aren't, but that's because they're hey, the Browns. They, they, hey, but they've won, they've won, I think they're 3-3 three and three in their last six games, so. Yeah. They're doing something. 
I mean, it's Chad Henney. <laughs> but <laughs> um, the, the thing I like, when you look at the fact that we play the Patriots twice over the next five weeks, is that what we have left? Yeah, five weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we play the Patriots twice. We play the 49ers, and then we play the Bills and the Jaguars. Um, so looking at that, you're looking at three uh, top-tier team games with the Patriots twice and then the 49ers. But when you back off and look at it the other way, that's Tom Brady twice. And then we're playing Kaepernick, Kenny, and uh, what I just blank on, Fitzpatrick. So I like the fact that, they, that the 49ers just went to Kaepernick because he's going to have a bad game. At some point, there's going to be film on him, and he's going to have a bad game. And it very easily could be against the Dolphins. Now, it's going to be in San Francisco, so it's going to be harder. But if you look at the quarterbacks for playing, Brady's really the only one with the experience and the results that we should be fearing at this point. So two games, and if we could come out of these five games at three and two, I think it's been a good experience for the Dolphins. And I'm assuming split the Patriots, season or series and then drop one of the other games or drop both to the Patriots. But I think that there's yeah. a good chance the Dolphins come out three and two out of this. Yeah, and I think that speaks back to, you know, kind of the, the expectations. I mean, the, the team is never going to say that and players are never going to say that, but just about everybody going into this season would have expected, you know, five wins to be a good year for us. Right. And here we are with five weeks to go in the season, and we're sitting on five wins, and we're thinking, I will be disappointed if we finish with five wins. I mean, nobody expected that. And I've often said on the site that seven and nine is the worst possible record you can have. And I believe that. But, But a seven and nine record with a rookie quarterback, first year rookie head coach, a offense that is limited in its personnel, a defense that has, you know, uh, glaring weakness in the secondary. And you come out 79 with that. And not just a rookie quarterback, but a rookie quarterback who's playing, you know, he's already played nearly as many games as a pro as he did in college. So, you know, you you, you factor that in. And, you know, 79 this year won't be that bad. Now, if we finish 79 next year, that will be terrible, but, you know, and I agree, I think we can finish the season 9-7. and seven. Even if we don't make the playoffs, I think finishing 500 or above would be a positive because, one, it shows growth, and two, it shows the potential that once we get this team loaded with some playmakers, loaded with some guys that can stretch the field, loaded with some, you know, some defenders that can, um, you know, can shut some people down, that we're going to be like that, kind of like that 09 team. We, we're going to go into a game next year, and we're not going to be the underdogs. We're going to be the guy that – we're going to be the team that says, you know what, you know, we're going to win this game, and you're going to lose. Yeah. And I think, you know, and plus, you know, we've got a young team too, and we've got enough – we've got some veterans, but we've got a young team 
And so I think we're going to build on that. And, and I agree, I think the next few games are going to be benchmarks for school. I think we can win at least three of them. Um, and I think that would be good for us. I think it would be good for a team. I think it will be good for the fan base. Now, I know there will be fans that said, oh, we missed the playoffs. But, you know, I think just, you know, if anybody said that they were expecting playoffs at the beginning of the year, they'd be lying to you. Um, oh, and I, Yeah, and I don't think anybody, you know, a lot of people just expected us to be bad and be rebuilding. So I think we've shown enough right now that um, that uh, you know, it's positive going forward. And, and I think, you know, I don't I don't think any team really, even the Patriots or the 49ers or any of these teams, can really sit there and, and, and look at this game coming in and say, oh, this is an easy game for us. I don't think any team looks at the Dolphins right now and say, that's an easy out. Now, yeah, the Patriots are rolling over everybody right now, but it's a division game and those tend to be close. So, I mean, you know, I think, if, you know, as, as Dolphins fans, we can go into these games kind of with the feeling that, you know what, we're going to play tough whether we win or not. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm going to go ahead and cut the show at that point because I know, James, you have to take off. And uh, since you're logged in as the host, I don't know what it's going to do when you log off. <laughs> so rather than try to figure that out and play the hello game again, um, <laughs> we'll just go ahead and end the show at this point. That's we had enough favorite game. For the day. Yeah. <laughs> but um, everybody... Again, thank you guys, you two and Keith, for covering down on me. Um, everybody in the live thread, thank you for keeping us going and giving us ideas of uh, what to talk about. Um, I'll be back. I think I'll be able to do the show on Friday. Uh, my wife is going out of town tomorrow through Saturday. Um, so I don't know right, for sure that I'll be able to do it. Say again? Uh-oh. Did I lose you guys? Do we get to play the Hello game? No, I said party at oh. Kevin's house. Oh, yeah. No, but uh, I do. Uh, I, I don't know for sure that I'm going to be able to do the video show. I think I will be able to, though. So make sure you guys check back on Friday night. We'll put the video show back in its normal time, and uh, we'll do that. And then we'll be back next week. Hopefully we don't have issues like me being called into work and uh, – technical issues, so we'll be able to get you guys back there, and as I get ready to close the show, um, you guys, again, thank you, everybody, make sure you stop by the live thread, because Strange just left us a gift in there, and it's actually a fun one, so now, that's what I'm laughing at, that's one of the funniest things I've ever I, I absolutely love that, that is the best gift ever, how you, we just put uh, that in, can we just post that in every post from here on out, <laughs> I have yeah, to. <laughs> and I posted on there. It reminds me of a certain uh, YouTube video where Shaq is rapping about Toby Bryant. So, fancy. <laughs> like, tell me how my uh, <laughs> taste. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I saw a video, and I, I might have to try to find it. Um, I think I actually posted it on our Facebook page. I'm not a hundred percent though, but it's the jet game, including this play and then uh their um was it the was it a fumble or an interception return for a touchdown and the ridiculousness of 
everything that happened with them during this game, all set to the circus music. So it, it worked out really well. <laughs> I'll find that and, like, fan shot it onto the side or something. But everybody, you guys have a good night. Everybody on the site, thanks for taking part. Sorry that I had issues tonight, and uh, we'll be back next week. So, night. Bye, guys. Good night. Good night, everyone. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hey, everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Check it out.